Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Hello, welcome back. This is Parker's MMA Show. This is episode 18. In this week's episode, we recap the decade in mixed martial arts. A lot of crazy, crazy events that went down. This past decade, we look back at 2019, which was the best year in UFC history. We look forward to 2020 with a ton of awesome events already booked. And then we break down the Ryzen 20 event, Bellator in Japan, and the PFL Championships for 2019. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you get a chance, please look down in the show notes. Give me a like, a subscription, and we'll keep it rolling. Let's get into it. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now, here's your host, Parker Keen. All right, welcome back. What's going on? Happy New Year's. Happy New Year, man. A lot of, lot of stuff to talk about. You know, I think it's funny that UFC takes like a three-week hiatus and we still just have tons and tons of MMA stuff to, uh, to discuss. So Yeah, and you opened my eyes to Ryzen. Oh, really? Is yeah. that your first one? Yeah, that was my first one. I really liked it. Kind of gave me flashbacks to Pride a little bit. And I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought it was cool overall. So I, I like I really like what they're doing with Bellator. I think that's really cool how they have that partnership with Bellator. Yeah, I loved it. I think the the cross promotional stuff really helps the uh promotions outside of the UFC kind of differentiate themselves. And then I'm hoping that next year it's it's not just Bellator Ryzen, but maybe like a KSW could get involved there or uh like an ACA, someone like that, bring some some more uh, more guys into the mix. So uh, Japan is just the best for MMA. So I, I just the whole vibe about it, I I loved it all. The crazy, um, what's the old Pride announcer that calls the guys out? I love that Lenny Hart. Oh my god, I love that. That's so awesome. <laughs> How about the Jake the Jake Hoon uh, walkout? The Freddie Mercury, another one bites the dust, where he's like in the jeans and the tank top, like looking exactly like Freddie Mercury walking in the cage, then knocks out Ishii and under, under a round, like unbelievable. Pretty epic stuff. All right. So let's get into it here. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to cover um, the Bellator Japan card that went down. Uh, was that last week, the PFL championships and then rise in 20. So let's start off with Bellator Bellator was in Japan. When was that? On the 28th, I believe. It was the 29th in Japan, the 28th in the States. Right. So I went down at the Super Arena where they used to have all the pride fights. That was pretty cool. You had in the headliner, you had Fedor knocking out Rampage Jackson via TKO. Two minutes and 44 seconds in. We had Michael Chandler defeating Sydney Outlaw via first round KO. Michael Page back in action for what? The fifth time this year? Yeah. 
Is that his insane fifth fight knocking out Shinsu? I, I can't say his last name. Azani. Anzai. Shinso Anzai. Okay. Um, with 23 seconds left in the – or 23 seconds into the second round, right? Yep. Lorenz Larkin got a unanimous decision against Nakamura. Where I thought he dominated that fight. And then that uh, Goatee yep. versus Aaron Krushank. He got a really nice rear naked choke submission in the first round. So, um, overall, I thought it was a pretty good card. What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think the, the criticisms of it for me, number one, I, I hate going to Japan and using the cage. Like, I really just think Bellator should have used the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the regulations are on that, but I, I would have loved to see that. And then the... Is that the something they just is, negotiate with Ryzen? So Bellator, usually if they go to a, a location that doesn't have an athletic commission that sanctions MMA, they use the Mohegan Tribe Commission, like the... Yeah, that, that the was ABC. weird. That, that kind of caught my attention. I thought that was a little weird. I'd never heard that before. They, they've done it before in like Israel and Italy when they go over there. Um, and I guess it's kind of the same situation, but I just would have liked to see like the the Ryzen or old school pride rule set. I would have liked to see the ring. I just think it would have set them apart, honestly. And then the other thing for me is a lot of these seemed kind of like squash matches for Bellator's guys. So like Michael Chandler versus Sydney Outlaw is really one that sticks out for me, where it was like, I know they were. It was a late replacement. It was supposed to be Benson Henderson, but the Sydney Outlaw is just not on Michael Chandler's level at all, and it's not close. Um, well, that's kind of the same thing that's happened with MVP. I mean, if someone drops out, there's no no top five fighters going to take that fight on at what two weeks notice. So yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would have obviously him versus Benson Henderson would have been an awesome fight, and I think a more meaningful fight, but. That's kind of where Bellator is at. They don't have the depth, you know, if someone drops out to fill in with the top guy. Yeah, I think the the MVP criticism actually with this particular fight is actually kind of unfair. Because like Shinzo Anzai had four fights in the UFC and went two and two. Right. Like that guy's not a can. Like I think that's unfair to call him a can. Like when he was fighting, what was that guy? Richard Keeley in Dublin, where the guy's like two and one or three and one MMA. Yeah. And then the Italian Italian guy after that, who doesn't even have a Wikipedia or, (laughs) or anything like that's a can like Shinzo Anzai is a legit welterweight like an MVP made quick work of him. Um, I'm really interested in MVP versus Lorenz Larkin. I I, I think that's what they need to make next, you know, especially with Rory, Rory moving on to the PFL. I think that's an awesome matchup. And I would let Lima move up and fight Lovato for the 85. And that's a great I'm fight, too. And then let let um, MVP and Lorenz Larkin fight. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's awesome. That's a great matchup to me. I think that's two headliners for Bellator. Oh, like you for could sure. headline cards with both of those fights. For sure. For sure. All right. So let's start with um, Fedor versus Rampage. What do you think about that fight? Uh rampage looking like he spent his entire training camp at the all you can eat buffet it was just crazy i mean there was all this talk about him training with that tj that uh sam calvillo is it calvita sam calvita why why are people still trusting this guy like 
Do we not see like TJ had to use EPO to get down to yeah. the weight? This guy's like supposedly this like great diet scientist and weight cutting expert, whatever. And then like he brings Rampage in. Rampage is at two sixty five, and it looked like he like ate his way up to two sixty five in hamburgers and French fries rather than like bulking to it. And he like looked he looked like he was like waiting in cement the entire fight. Yeah, and Fedor just came out and blasted him yeah no i i just thought it was it was just sloppy the way rampage looked i mean i know he's i get it these guys are older this is kind of the old man circuit at bellator you know he's going to get paid regardless but to come in and look like that was not a good look i don't think and and definitely not a good look for that for that trainer i mean he's supposed to be this guru and you know he had the issues with tj now he's got the issues with rampage just looking like total shit after i mean that was a 12-week training camp yeah it's unbelievable i i think you know and and i guess there's a part of me that's just glad I, you know fedor is my favorite fighter of all time uh, i'm i'm glad that he didn't go out there in his last fight in japan and just get absolutely blasted because fedor's chin is is very gone at this point like his ability to take a, a solid punch is is gone he's still got the technique he's still got fast hands he's still got knockout power but it's the ability to take a punch that i think is actually gone yeah um, and so I'm, I'm just glad that he didn't get absolutely destroyed you know I, i'm really hopeful they give him like some pretty scrubby guys for kind of these two farewell fights in the USA and Russia. I, because... I liked him against Josh Barnett. I think that's kind of a, a nostalgia fight, but that's a good fight. And it's not, I mean, it's not Ryan Bader. It's, it's right. an, an older guy that's been around forever. And I, I think that's an awesome fight. So is, is that kind of yeah. Fedor's game plan? He wants two more fights. So that's apparently the plan from Bellator is after he got knocked out by Bader, they basically signed him for three more fights, one in Japan, one in the U.S., and then the final one in Russia, like probably in Moscow or St. Petersburg. And so, um, yeah, I'm down for the Josh Barnett fight. I I'm down for, you know, I kind of wish Crow Cop could still fight because I, I just think like. Krokop versus Fedor 2 in Russia well, would I be... I think I just saw Krokop awesome. is fighting somewhere. I think I thought he was not allowed to fight anymore. He has like a heart condition or something. Um, I, I could swear to God I just saw him... Let me see. Headlining somewhere. Yeah, I think he fought on New Year's Eve. Let me see. I know he's not with Bellator anymore, is, is he? he? No, I, I thought he was he was said he was done and he was not allowed to fight anymore. To I guess swore I just saw a flyer for him headlining somewhere, but maybe not. Maybe I fucked that up. Who, but I who would I would is... watch like Fedor fight Roy Nelson. That yeah. would be that'd be someone who I, I think would be interesting. Or or like you said, you know, Fedor versus Josh Barnett, I think would be great. Who, so who else is still there at um at Bellator in the heavyweight division? It's like Chick Congo. Mm -hmm. Um you know, they have uh, like Tim Johnson, the guy with the crazy mustache, uh, comes out to Hillbilly Deluxe. Um, there's uh, like Mitrione if they want to do that rematch, but I'm not that interested in that. Sergey Karatanov might be interesting. Yeah. yeah, they really don't um, have that much at heavyweight, huh? I mean, Bader Bader's kind of the guy and... They, you know, I don't feel like anyone really has a deep heavyweight division at this point. 
Right. Even the UFC. Yeah, I'm looking at the heavyweight lineup right now. Really, the only ones, Josh Barnett um, and Roy Nelson. It's got Rampage, or not Rampage, um, Wanderlei Silva listed as a heavyweight. Has he fought heavyweight there, or is he still fighting? Was the was the he- the rampage uh, versus Vanderlei four? Was that at heavyweight? No, I think that was at light heavyweight. I was there. That was in um, where the hell was that? That was in New York. No, that was in um, San Jose. That was on the oh, Roy McDonald right. right. um, Gegard Musasi card. Uh, I think that was at light heavyweight. But that, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I I would watch that Wanderlei Silva versus freaking uh, Fedor at heavyweight. Isn't isn't Vanderlei signed to Bare Knuckle though? I thought he signed with. Bare yeah, Knuckle. I saw I saw something about that too. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I mean for Fedor, I, I just thought that was cool. Him fighting back in that arena. I think he's he's fourteen and zero in his career in that arena. Right. So that, it was just between that and like you said that that Lenny the announcer and I don't Rampage know Page walking out to the Pride music. Yeah. That was awesome. Fedor to me is the scariest human to stare across at. In the, he still has that like mystique about him. He's just, I don't know, there's something about him that's just, it's like a, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't think there's going to be another person that has that kind of mystique surrounding him. He's just this Russian freaking unicorn. He's awesome. I love Fedor. I just don't think you could become a star anymore in MMA like talking that little to the media. I don't think it's possible anymore the way it was kind of in his heyday. And so like, I think that's kind of the mystique is like, you know, you think about guys like even like, um, you know, like a, a, a mighty mouse, right. Who's like not a big talker to the media. No one was ever scared of that guy. Like Stipe, not a big media guy. And like, you know, crushed people. I mean, knocked out, multiple heavyweight champions and former heavyweight champions not the same i i just don't think it's possible anymore yeah no but it was i mean to me i i thought fedor i know like his chin's compromised i think he had that weird he have, who, did he have a double knockout against uh mitrion i was there for that yeah it, it was in new york city um fighting against matt mitrion yeah yeah that was crazy that was the fight i was like oh that it looks like he's getting a little chinny there because he's i mean he's been doing this for what 20 years at the highest level. I think more than I, I honestly think he's been doing it since like 97 or 98 was like his his debut in rings in Japan. Right. No, uh, to me, I mean he's a legend. He for me he's top probably one or two heavyweights of all time across any promotion. I think promotion. he's one. I, I think he's it's really one. hard for me to argue that he's not the best ever, especially because when you look at the old pride heavyweight like roster it's just a list of like the best heavyweights of all time realistically like it, it i mean what he did to noguera what he did to kevin randleman um you know what he did to tim sylvia andre arlovsky i mean he's got like what seven or eight former ufc champions that he's beaten which is the most ever by anyone um it, it's crazy yeah, 15 knockouts, 15 submissions. Oh, yeah, he's he's a stud. I freaking love Fedor. But, yeah, that, that was cool to see. Um, for Rampage, you know, and I don't know where he goes from, from there. Maybe similar fights in Japan. 
I think he could fight I mean, off his If he his really name. wants to fight again, that's fine. But I think if I'm Scott Coker, I'm saying I'm not booking you another fight at heavyweight. You want to fight again, you can lose the weight and go down to 205. But I, I, I kind of think it's time for Rampage to hang him up. I, I don't think, you know, you look at all his contemporaries, like they're all hanging up the gloves. His fights haven't been that exciting in a, a number of years, in my opinion. Um, and it, he just doesn't seem like he's all that motivated to keep going. Yeah, I think the game is kind of passing up that style he has. I mean, his style is basically shell up and throw bombs. <laughs> and ever these, I mean, the nowadays heavyweights are just way more advanced than that. There's way more to their games. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be mad if Rampage hung it up. I don't think he will because I think he can still get fights in Japan, you know, just fighting off his old pride days and, and that reputation he has. So, yeah, but I... I think that's going to be a hard sell for Bellator to let him headline a card again. I just, I don't think that was a good look for anyone really. Look, it made sense in Japan. They're recognizable guys in in Japan. They got a huge pop. Like what you heard it when they walked into the arena and when they were doing the intros, how, how much that crowd was cheering for them. But at the end of the day, I, I just, I think the guys like, you know, kind of past the sell-by date as an MMA fighter, and and it's time, and that's fine. I mean, he's he's what nearly forty years old, if not forty years old. That's it. That's okay. No, so overall, I mean, I thought that was cool. I mean, though everything surrounding it was cool. Like I said, gave me, gave me kind of that pride nostalgia, but. um you know, I think these guys got Fedor's got maybe one or two more fights. Rampage, I wouldn't be mad if he hung it up. You know, they both have great careers. They're both legends. Um, all right, let's move on. Michael Chandler. Um, I want to see that Benson Henderson fight. Uh, the first one was close. I think Chandler is a very good fighter. I think Patricio Pitbull's not going to defend that belt until he's done with the featherweight Grand Prix. Um, so I would I would like to see that Benson Henderson fight to be honest. Yeah, and at lightweight, I mean, who else does Bellator have? That's let me look up their rankings. Uh, Yamauchi's good at lightweight. You know, they have Patricky Pitbull. Um, you know, if I'm Bellator, I would do two Grand Prix next year. I would do women's flyweight and I would do lightweight for the men. Yeah, I think Pitbull broke his hand, didn't he, in that in that Ryzen fight? Uh, yeah, that's what they said. That's what he said. And, and he said, you know, he hurt his like knee and his shoulder when he got thrown out of the ring. So he might be out a little while, but, uh, is he, he's scheduled to fight in that Grand Prix, isn't he? In the featherweight Grand Prix? That's his brother. That's Patricio Pitbull. Okay. So I've got them confused. Who is the double champ? Patricio? Patricio. Okay. Okay. So I think book Chandler versus Benson Henderson, you know, you could do it. You know, in San Jose, you could do it in, um, you know, some of the L.A. area places that they usually go to. You could do it in, uh, you know, New York if they go back to New York. I, I think that's that's the fight to make, in my opinion, when when Bendo's healthy again. Yeah. And Michael Chandler, I mean, he's a, you know, a legend in Bellator. He's to me, he he's still looked awesome. He's still explosive. He's still super athletic. Um yeah, I mean, he looked really good. So I'm down with that. I would like to see that next as well. I think that Benson Henderson makes fight makes a lot of sense. And then what would be next? The championship after that? 
another crack. Yeah, I could. I would consider that like a number one contender's bout again. Like I, what I really want is for them to just do a lightweight Grand Prix and throw Benson Henderson, Michael Chandler, um, you know, Pitbull, uh, Yamauchi, Miles Jury, like all those guys, kind of into you know, and maybe like an eight man one fifty five Grand Prix and have them duke it out and and you know, kind of build try and build up the value of your champion because I think it really worked at 170 and I think it's going to work with 145 again where it's like we're going to be able to look at these guys in Bellator and say wow they beat some really good guys like these are legitimate top 10 fighters in the world and I kind of think the tournament style um, at least for like one weight class a year really works for them in that respect. Well I think it helps them kind of build stars too you know you you got these lesser named, super talented guys, and they come out in and knock off a Michael Chandler or a Pitbull or something like that. Um, you're seeing that with that, that you know, Adam Borix, that guy that knocked yeah. out Pico, and then he's been on a roll since then at featherweight. Um, but I think for Bellator, you, you don't have the depth that the UFC has, and these, these tournaments keep everything moving along and help you build up names, you know, internally. Yeah, I think if you're a Bellator, if you're a Ryzen, if you're a one... KSW, the way to kind of differentiate yourself for the fans is to kind of go to the places the UFC is not willing to go to. So tournaments, um, you know, kind of, I think one of, I think Bellator will eventually get a 165 weight class to differentiate themselves. Um, you know, the cross promotional fights, like I think that kind of gives a fan something that we all want, but, uh, is very different from what the UFC can offer. All right. Um, move on to Michael Page. Um, I, he just looked incredible again. He's the most exciting fighter on that roster. And like, I don't care if everybody thinks he crushes cans. Like, he's so entertaining. The walkout was entertaining. I, I want to see him fight Lorenz Larkin. I think that's the obvious fight to make. Um, you know, he's Everybody, I think everybody thinks he's beating up bad guys because of how badly he beats them. Whereas, like, like I said earlier, Shinzo Anzai is not a scrub. Like, he's probably not like a top, you know, twenty-five uh, welterweight in the world, but like, he's certainly like a top promotion caliber welterweight. And and Michael Page made him look foolish. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he didn't belong in there. So I want to see him fight Lorenz Larkin, and then, you know, whoever wins that can take on Lima for the strap. But um, I, I love that fight. Yeah. And um, no, I, I agree. He's must-watch TV. Any, I don't care when he's fighting, where he's fighting. I'm tuning in. I mean, regardless. And I think he's he's starting to get a lot of steam, and I think – you know, if he can beat Lorenz Larkin and get another crack at the title, he's got a chance of being a gigantic star. I agree. I mean, he fights like, you know, 2008 Anderson Silva. That's that's who he reminds me of. So that's, you know, it's visually pleasing to watch in a fight. It makes for like great social media clips. Um, the guy is a showman outside the cage. I just think if he could get that belt, He's he's a star. He's going to be a star, especially in the UK. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, 
Michael Page, I think he he looked awesome. Um, Lorenz Larkin as well. He looked dominant in that decision win. He had best fight we've seen him have in Bellator. No, he looked from start to finish. Just he just outclassed that guy. I think it was unanimous decision. He won. Yeah, thirty twenty seven. Then two judges had it thirty twenty six. I I saw thirty twenty six. I I thought he dominated. He was never in trouble. Um, he looked awesome. Completely agree. Um, best Lorenz Larkin we've seen probably since uh, he left the UFC. And uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, if I'm Scott Coker, like that's, I'm making that phone call and just saying, what does it take for Larkin versus Page to happen? No, I think that's, that's your best bet. Um, you've got Paul Daly hanging out there, I think, too, is kind of in that realm but i you know we saw paul daly versus mvp that was one of the most boring fights i've ever seen live and and then you know i, I think that's the only option and i agree i think um, you book you book daly against andre Korishkov. you book lima against lovato for the 185 title and you book uh larkin versus page and then whoever wins larkin versus page fights for the welterweight title and then you know, you see how Korishkov against Daly turns out, but like I think Paul Daly's pretty close to retirement too, to be honest. So um you start to figure out like who's next. I think they have uh in February coming up, they have Ed Ruth is fighting uh Yaroslav Amasov, who's twenty two and oh Russian guy, who's just looked great in every fight he's been in. So I think he's a potential uh title contender down the line for Bellator as well. And um, you just kind of see you see how it how it shakes out from there, but that's Bellator's deepest division. They have a lot of good welterweights. Yeah, their welterweight division is freaking stacked, stacked. And between that and probably featherweight's really good too. Featherweight's very good. I think AJ McKee is probably the best prospect in all of MMA. Yeah, no, he's freaking awesome. Um, the last one I wanted to talk about was that uh, Yamauchi versus Darren uh, Krushank. I thought that was a phenomenal performance by Yamaguchi. He, it's a clinic. It's a grappling clinic. And I think what what's impressive about Yamauchi for me is like he keeps coming back and everybody knows what he wants to do. It almost reminds me of Damian Maya, where it's like everybody knows what he wants to do and he could still do it. I also think it kind of tells you how good Michael Chandler is because when Yamauchi and Michael Chandler fought, Chandler dominated him. And like Darren Cruikshank is, you know, a UFC veteran. He's he's known as a as a really good striker, and he really couldn't touch Yamauchi in any significant way, and then just got taken down and choked out, and and that was it. Yeah, that jump off the cage to get get his back was awesome, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I do also want to touch on uh, Watanabe against Alara Joanne. Um, Watanabe is a nine and zero flyweight now in in Ryzen. Um, you know, beat uh, Alara, who just came off the win against Beck Rawlings, which I thought was a good win. And I think if if Bellator is going to do a women's flyweight Grand Prix next year, which is is heavily rumored, um, my first round matchup would be Watanabe versus uh, Alimale McFarlane. I think you know Watanabe's earned it. She's a, a clearly a budding star in Japan, and I. I I want to see Alima kind of get challenged again and, and see how far she could take this kind of undefeated record. And 
um, with Liz Carmouche coming into the division as well. I, I think it's kind of prime for uh, breaking out because Alima's kind of made her name in Bellator, but there's, a, you know, I couldn't name a single one of her opponents, to be honest. So um, I, I think that's that's an interesting fight to make. To well, make. that gets, I mean, any. I, I just really like their cross-promotion thing. I mean, I think it's a great way to showcase you know, stars from different organizations like that guy that uh, fought the Pitbull brother. I I never even heard of that guy, and he's Tofik Musaya. Yeah, I'm I'm watching this. I watched his first fight, and he just starches this guy. I'm like, who the fuck is this? And then I watch him fight the Pitbull brother, and he's just. I mean, that guy is fun to watch, but he's from like what Tazekistan or some weird ass country like Azerbaijan. that. Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. There we go. Um. So I like that. I, I don't know. I think that that just opens people's eyes to different stars from different organizations and kind of shows you, you know, where the other organizations are at. So you want to move on to Ryzen 20 then? Are, are we are we done with Bellator? Yeah, we'll do Ryzen and then we'll pop back and go over some PFL and then we will jump into some other stuff. So go ahead. What do you think of Ryzen 20? So I just want to read you because you brought him up. Here's what Tufik Musayev, a guy you've never heard of as a diehard MMA fan. Good luck with me pronouncing that name either. Here's what he did this year, Parker. 2019, Darren Crookshank wins unanimous decision. Knocks out Damian Brown in the first round in October. Knocks out Johnny Case in the first round on New Year's Eve. And then comes out. And beats the brakes off Patricky Pitbull for three rounds. Yeah, he did. That's three UFC veterans and a Pitbull brother in half a year. He started his first fight this year was in June. Now I'm telling that guy's he's a freaking badass. He's super talented. Like, ha, like this guy is probably the best fighter that nobody knows about in my opinion for sure i mean i was watching him and i was like holy shit who is this guy he can wrestle he throws vanderlei silva power hooks that just put guys on their ass he is this guy is unbelievable i really want to see him fight i would watch michael chandler fight him i would watch yamauchi fight him I would watch him fight the other Pimple brother, Benson Henderson, Miles Jury. I mean, there is a litany of guys. If I'm Bellator, I am begging Sakaki Baro over in Japan to let this guy come fight in the United States How long against has he some been of the bigger uh, A part of Ryzen. He so his first fight in Ryzen was in 2018. Um, before that, he fought for like the Akmat Fight Club, the uh, Ramzan Kadyrov. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, like the, the dictator fights yeah, yeah. over there in Russia. Um, but he's fought in China. He's fought in Azerbaijan. But, um, you know, the guy hasn't lost in five years. He hasn't lost since 2014. Yeah, he, I mean, he looked like he had it all. That was I, I, the first fight I watched. And when he starts, who did he start? Johnny Case? Johnny Case. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? He's, he's throwing. Is he is he fighting 145? That's 145. 155. 155. That power. Oh my god, that was fucking scary. And he could take a punch. He took some big shots from the pitbull brother. Yeah, Johnny Case is a really good fighter. Yeah, you see, he just signed with PFL too. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised, honestly. I think PFL is going to start to get a lot of guys because um, people kind of see the uh, the paychecks and are like, wait, why am I fighting better fighters for less money? You know who I'd like to see in the PFL is MVP. You know how much fun it's that would be? It's interesting. Uh, I kind of want to see Michael Chandler there. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see what kind of money those guys are making. The Michael Chandler's MVPs in Bellator. What do you think they make? Like three, four hundred thousand dollars a fight? That would be my guess, somewhere around there. Um, I think, I, I think Bellator compensates their guys pretty well. Um, but I, you know, so this Ryzen twenty event for me, I, I, that was my favorite event. Like top to bottom of 2019. Um, you know, you have like Jerry Bro- Prohaska, the light heavyweight who knocked out CB Dalloway. Like that's, I mean, that guy, that was his last fight in the rising deal. That guy is going to get big dollars. Apparently the UFC is like really wants to sign him, but he's, he's going to have offers from every major organization. Um, you know, Simon Biong, I mean, let's not forget, like, two years ago, it was Ryzen who discovered Jarzinho Rosenstreich. I think they're figuring out a way to kind of discover these kind of uh, unknown African prospects. And, like, Simone Biong just looked like, I mean, he looked like a superhero. He, like, he was, you know, ripped out of his mind, knocking people out. Um, you know, Jake Hune is a heavyweight. I think he's going to have a big year. You know, and then you have like the the two title bouts at the top of the card, like Siho Ham, aka Hamderlay. You're going really like, deep on Japanese MMA right now. <laughs> yeah, just great, great, uh, great win for her. You know, the Adam Wake title, and then Manel Cape, um, you know, winning the 135 title. I wouldn't be surprised if he came over and fought some of the Bellator guys. Yeah, but- I would like to see that. He he looked really fucking good. He looked really impressive. Just moved gyms to AKA Thailand and, uh, you know, he was training like in Angola and in Portugal, which like are not big MMA hotbeds. So I think he's kind of finally getting a handle on how good he is athletically and putting the skills together. Um, Why is he wearing boxing which shoes? Which should be cool. I don't know what, I, I don't know how these guys choose whether or not they're going to wear the, uh, the wrestling shoes or not, but. Uh, it worked out for him. I mean, he looked like a totally yeah. different fighter in there. Oh, there's something different about the ring. I just, I, I seem to like just watching fights in the ring, MMA fights in the ring. I, I don't know what I, it is. It's maybe the vision is better or that the grappling is different. It just seems like there's more, kind of more action. I, I don't know. It feels like more, to me, it feels more realistic in terms of like the way the fight flows because too often in in the UFC and in Bellator guys get just smashed up against that cage and like it's hard to take them down or it's hard to keep them down whereas like in the ring like the grappling really matters a lot more in my opinion and so it, it kind of lends itself to like an actual mixed martial arts fight rather than just a kickboxing fight with some takedowns. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed faster. Like it just seemed the pacing was better. I, I don't know. It, it got a little dicey. Like when Pitbull went out of the ring, that was kind of a scary moment. Right. 
And I was like, what the fuck is going on? He basically falls on his neck out of the ring. Um, I love the Japanese guys, too, that surround the ring and try to push them back in. Oh, my God. It's the best. And the guys who, like, hold the ropes. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I love the trophy. The trophy that the Azerbaijan guy got. The trophy. And then you have, like, the, the Japanese, like, I don't know what they are, like, cheerleaders or whatever and all kinds of crazy colors. That was cool. I don't know. I, I just I would love to go see a fight like that in Japan live. I think that would be freaking awesome. That's my bucket list. That's on my bucket list. Go or see you have a, the crowd that's just silent card. the whole time and then they just clap when certain things happen. Well, it's like these guys are so knowledgeable too. Like that that crowd was like clapping for guard passes. Right, right, right. <laughs> like you'd never see that in a, a USA based event. Yeah, um, I really uh, that Pitbull versus uh, how do you say his last name? Musayev. Musayev. Yeah, that was a great fight. That was freaking action packed. I mean, they were getting after it. Um, I I got to see Tenshin Nasukawa for the first time fight live. That guy's yeah. fucking special. Holy shit! That the guy he fought is like a kickboxing champion. Like he's like a very legit kickboxer and tension just iced him. I mean, not close that he is so fucking fast. It's unbelievable. So my question is for tension. Like, I wonder what's next because Frank Trigg kind of talked about on the broadcast that he's probably more interested in going into boxing than he is in going into MMA. Um, but I just think he's such a good kicker. Like his kicks are so fast and so good. Like I, I don't know. I, I think he'd be kind of selling himself short, but I, I think he's not very good in the grappling department and may not enjoy it very much. So um What does he fight? Is it, does he fight one twenty five? One twenty five, yeah. I don't know. I mean he could come over in the UFC and be a fucking badass. I, I would love to just see him him hit like some spinning kick and you know put out Henry Cejudo or Benavidez or something like that. Yeah, but then the question is with the wrestling and the grappling there. I mean, how big is the gap? You know, uh, he his his striking is unbelievable though. I I could not believe that that was his. I I, mean, I just never seen him live. I've seen highlights and stuff, but I, that was freaking incredible. And he seems to be a gigantic star over there. I mean, he's been doing, I mean, kickboxing's huge in Japan, but like he's been doing this since he was like 17, I want to say, like fighting in the Ryzen ring professionally. And like, what's he's 20, 21 years old? He's either 20 or 21. Yeah, I think he's 33 and 0 in kickboxing. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. He He's, he's a guy who, like you said, like the highlights are are just incredible. Like it's it's surreal. You you can't believe what you're watching. I couldn't believe that I was watching someone strike like that. And I don't know how kickboxing is not big over here. Kickboxing to me is so fucking great to watch. I love watching kickboxing. Yeah, I don't. I really don't get it. I I, I doesn't make any sense to me. To be honest. Yeah. So I I thought that was awesome. Um, his walkout was freaking cool too you could tell he's a giant star over there those people are going fucking crazy for his walkout he's got like the cloak on that makes him look like a final fantasy villain like it's just a wild scene yeah that was 
Yeah, I, I love that Ryzen. I, I just don't know how many events do they have a year? They usually do like six or seven a year. And they're all big, big cards like that? Not the well, that's the biggest one of the year. I would say they usually do kind of like three tent pole events and then three more regional ones. Um, that'll be smaller. But it, I I've enjoyed basically every Ryzen event I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I like the idea of having different stuff. You know, you have MMA fights on there. You have kickboxing fights on there. Do they have um, grappling matches or is that one? They've done – so they've done grappling matches. Like they did um, Frank Shamrock against uh, Sakuraba. They've done like I think Shinya Aoki against Sakuraba. Um, I'd be interested actually if they could partner up with like a quintet. And just have like a a quintet match just in the middle of one of those cards. I think would be because it was cool. like was like an eight hour card. Oh, it's forever. Well, and it's like you have like you know three hours worth of intermissions in there too. Yeah, I, I like their commercials and stuff in between fights. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, all right, you want to move on to PFL? My one last comment: Watch out for Patrick Mix and Bellator. He was on this card. Uh, submission in the first round. He's 13 and 0. Um, I, I think that guy is going to be champ in Bellator this year. He's a 135er. It's not a real deep division in Bellator. Um, you know, he beat the guy, Ben Dejas, uh, who knocked out James Gallagher. He beat him in the first round by a, a rear naked choke. Um, I, I think he's kind of an under the radar guy to watch out for. I think he's going to be a future champ in Bellator. Yeah. And James Gallagher's back February, I think. Yeah. So I, I think the it's there's a lot of potential with that uh Bantamweight belt open in Bellator with uh if Gallagher can beat Cal Eleanor in February, I think you could see mix against Gallagher for the one thirty five title. Don't forget about my guy Cass Bell. Cass Bell making his making his rise with his green hair. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to PFL. PFL, I didn't watch the whole card. I, w- I went through and watched all the highlights. Um, but it seemed like a pretty good fight card. You had Kayla Harrison got another uh, unanimous decision against Larissa Pachenko. Uh, Ray Cooper the third defeats David Mashad by TKO and strikes in the second round. Ali, you're going to have to help me with the Muslim names here. Ali Isayev? Isayev. Yeah, that's pretty good. TKO's Jared Rushholt, um, Nathan Schultz. I can't say this name either. Wins a unanimous decision. That was a fight of the night. I love that fight. Those guys yeah, fucking got good. after it. Um, Lance the Party Palmer defeats Alex Gilpin by unanimous decision, and then Emilio Sorti becomes the new light heavyweight champion via TKO round one against Jordan Johnson. Um, so for me, I did watch this whole card and I think you made the better decision of the two of us, um, with just watching the highlights. Cause it was a real, it was a slog of a card to be honest. Um, for me, if we're just kind of going up, up the card here, Sorty over Johnson was really impressive. Like Sorty won all, what, all seven of his PFL fights. And like, I think five of them were round one finishes, something like that. Um, and Jordan Johnson was a guy who was an all American wrestler who went four and zero in the UFC. 
and Sorty just starched him. I mean, that that fight was was not competitive. Um, Lance Palmer, to me, should be the model for every UFC fighter where you look at the money he's made and the competition he's had to fight. He fought Gilpin three times this year and beat him the same way all three times, basically just laying on him, throwing some little punches with not a lot of power on him, controlling him for 25 minutes. I mean, Lance Palmer is very good. I wonder if there's like a little bit of kind of Ben Askren type stuff going on where it's like you look at the quality of the competition and it's just not not what it should be for a guy who has that many fights under his belt at this point. I, w- I would like to see – I understand why he's staying um, in the PFL, but I would like to see Palmer move on and, and fight some uh, you know, higher-level guys in my opinion. Well, at the money he's making, and at well, he fights at one thirty-five or one forty-five. Forty-five. Yeah, I mean, fuck, I don't see any reason for him to leave. Why would he? Back to back, two million dollars. You know, it's probably yeah, more I than he's made what, his whole I mean, career. So, so let's book him against Brendan Longain for the first round. You know, opening fight of the P- new PFL season because that's an interesting fight to me, but. I, I think they needed they need a lot of roster turnover in PFL because by the time we got to the championship this season, I, I think it felt a little stale, to be honest. Yeah, there wasn't much build up to it. There was just it was all the same guys, it felt like, and there was kind of no one that really emerged. Um Schulte is a guy who I think is is very underrated as well. Um you know, he's he's you know, that's the deepest division in, in all of MMA men's lightweight. And, you know, he's he's steamrolled through the, the PFL two seasons in a row now. And nobody really knows who this guy is still. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he he's a two time winner. Kayla Harrison's a two time winner. Um, Lance Kayla Palmer. Harrison's a one time winner. That was they didn't first have time? her division last year. Oh, OK. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would like to see her move on to some stiffer competition. But I, I think she's kind of made herself the face of that organization. I don't know what bringing in Rory is going to do, but I would like to see maybe some crossover fights with her because I think she needs to be pushed a little bit. I mean, she basically had the same fight with Larissa Pacheco twice where she just pretty much dominated her from start to finish. But who who's there who's like legitimately going to fight in that division? Like, you know, like I would be interested in like Kayla Harrison against Megan Anderson, but the UFC is never going to agree to that. No, um, I think it would have to be Bellator or I don't know. I don't know who else is at that that weight class or who could come up. I mean, you could do like Julia Budd, who's fighting Cyborg in January and Bellator, but I don't think Bellator has. I think the PFL is like really attached to their system, so. I think this is kind of the problem with the way the PFL is organized is when you do a tournament every single year for a weight class, you don't ultimately get the matchups that you actually want to see. Yeah, I like the I like the idea of it. I, I just I agree with you. I think I was more excited for it last year. This year it was just I mean, it's kind of the same people lingering. Happy around. to see Ray Cooper get his million dollars, so yeah, I I love watching Ray Cooper fight. He goes that guy's amazing to watch fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously another dominant 
night for Kayla Harrison, Lance Palmer, another dominant night. Um, that was pretty much it for me. I, I, I think Emilio Sordi, I, I think he's pretty talented as a light heavyweight, but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean the most, most excited thing about PFL for me is Rory coming over. Um, you know, I, to see him fight four or five times a year is going to be awesome. So I think you have Rory, you have Ray Cooper, and you have Magomed Magomed Karamov. And where was he? Was he was he injured this year? He was injured. So I actually think that PFL welterweight division is pretty compelling. Um, I think there's good matchups. I would love to see Ray Cooper against Rory opening round. I don't know why they wouldn't just go <laughs> fucking go get go after it. Go for it. Let's see it. Like, I, like I want to see Rory against the guy who. I mean, Ray Cooper to me fights like old school Chuck Liddell. He does. Where he's just a marauder. He comes forward the entire time. He's trying to knock you out with every single punch. He's tough as nails. Like, that's who I want to see fight Rory McDonald. Well, and I think that's the biggest splash you can make with Rory coming over. If Rory comes over and just starches him or outclasses him, I mean, Rory's there and he's your new star, I think. Yeah, so that's that's interesting to me. I just think you got to get a lot of new names in there. And I think you kind of got to stop leaning so heavily on the Ali Abdelaziz clients because I think it's kind of skewing the results and making it less compelling than it potentially could be. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, what do you think about Mike Tyson being there to hand out the belts? I mean, that's that's the the original baddest man on the planet. So I I, uh, I like any involvement we could get with Mike Tyson and MMA. Yeah. All right. Anything else on the PFL? That's it for me. I'm uh you know I want to see what they could do moving forward, and I hope they could get some some solid free agents, but. Um, if they kind of retread the same guys again next year, it's going to be hard for me to, to really care about that. To get back into it, yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to kind of go over the decade in review, the videos that the UFC had. I thought that was really cool. But before we do that, I want to get your thoughts on Frankie Edgar getting knocked out in South Korea. Oh, tough to watch, man. Um, I, told you, I told you when we recorded before that fight happened that like if – you know, you're doing something brave that has upside. It's it's noble. You're doing something brave that has no upside. It's stupid. It, Frankie Edgar looked stupid against Korean Zombie. Um, and I mean, to be quite frank, I, I don't really want to see the Holloway Volkanovski rematch um, right now. I, I want to see Korean Zombie versus uh, Volkanovski in Australia. Yeah. No, I'm down with that. Um... I mean, the way I see it, you've got Yair, you've got Zabit, you've got Max Holloway all kind of sitting right there. Um, what I would like to see is Max Holloway against Zabit. I, I'm more I interested in that. I want Max Holloway against Zabit, and I'm I more want Yair against Brian Ortega Ooh, in Mexico. That's fucking awesome. That's the one. Brian Ortega is probably out, what, six months though? Yeah, but they could book it. I think they could book that in like the summer maybe you think they're going to go back to mexico after that shit show maybe not i you could do it in southern california too if you want to um you know i i want to see i want to see brian ortega against yair i completely agree holloway versus a beat is the fight for me and then um i want to see zombie fight for the title no i think we're on the same page there that that'd be awesome um 
Yeah. So for Frankie Edgar, I mean, that was a ballsy move and it didn't work. So I, where do you think he goes from here? Just down to one thirty-five, and uh, you know, I I rebook the uh, the Sandhagen fight whenever Frankie's going to get back in the saddle. Like whenever he's good to go, I, I just rebook that same fight. That's the, they never should have booked this. They never should have called Frankie Edgar to fight Korean Zombie. Yeah, I like Corey Sandhagen. It's Dominic Cruz. If Dominic Cruz comes back. I think that's just a more compelling fight, but that's just me. I, Frankie, Edgar, I just don't think that's happened. I don't think. I don't think. I think he's done. I, I, he's he hasn't fought since the Garbrandt fight. Yeah, I don't know. I think that that stylistic matchup though is just for me. That's awesome. That's kind of the passing, a little bit of the passing of the torch. It's kind of Anderson Silva versus Izzy. It's kind of a similar fight. Those guys have very. Almost similar styles, just kind of super unorthodox, weird style. So I think that'd be interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I think Frankie Edgar obviously would have been better off just going down and sticking to the original plan and not rolling the dice. But he did. So I, I'd like to see him if he wants to keep fighting, go down to 135. I just don't think there's anything else left for him at 145. I think he's just kind of out in the cold. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think I think he's one or two losses away from one thirty five at one thirty five from it really looking like it's time to call it a career. But I think I, I want to see it. You know, let's see. I think that's Frankie's natural weight class. So, um, you know, if if he's willing to do it, I'm willing to see it because I think he could have some some wrestling advantages certainly at one thirty five um, that could help him get right back in that title picture. All righty. Um, next, I want to roll over. I, I made a list of all of these, but we can just kind of go over the highlights. The so UFC did a, produ- a production on YouTube where they did basically year by year of the last decade and kind of put all the highlights in. I just want to fire through them and see if there are any that stuck out to you and what you thought were the most important ones. Um, okay. Starting in 2010, they had the, it was basically Chuck Liddell's what everyone thought would be his farewell fight against Rich Franklin when he got knocked out. Um, and of course, he's came back since then and had that ugly, ugly fight with Tito Ortiz. But for me, that was a big moment. Um, Chuck was just, he was kind of the guy for me that put MMA on the map. I mean, he's just the perfect figurehead for the UFC, his look, his fighting style, everything. He's, he's just an icon. And that was kind of the end of his run when he got knocked out there in 2010. Yeah, I, I think I, I completely agree with you. I mean, Chuck Liddell is probably the first guy that I felt really compelled to watch in MMA um, live, certainly because I didn't watch pride or any of the Japanese stuff until much later on DVD, but um, I, that to me is like one of my sadder moments as an MMA fan, just knowing like Chuck's done. Like this is, this is really truly over. Um, and, you know, I, I think, but it was kind of a seminal moment of like this kind of turning a page um, from being kind of this very fringe sport to, to becoming more mainstream. Um and Chuck kind of signified the end of that, uh, you know, Spike TV affliction era. 
Yep. Um, also in 2010, one of the most memorable fights is um, I had Anderson Silva versus Chell, where Chell dominates a fight for four rounds against, you know, what will go on to be one of the best fighters of our generation probably ever, and then gets caught in a freaking triangle in the fifth round. I had this uh, triangle written down as my number two submission of the decade. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> the the Sonnen versus Silva, I mean, to that point, like, I think it's been passed by McGregor now, but Chael Sonnen's promotion of that fight at the time was the best promotion ever done in the history of MMA. Well, he wrote the um, book. I mean, he wrote the book for Connor, for Colby Chaos. I mean, those guys, Chuck or Chael Sonnen was the original shit talker. And he comes in, he's on every Mexican supplement you can think of, juice to the gills. He's taken down Chael Sonnen, or taken down Anderson Silva. And then when you go back and rewatch it now, you realize that Silva, the entire fight, is setting up this triangle. Um and then it's just like when it happens, it's like pandemonium. Um, but yeah, absolutely love that fight. I've rewatched that fight dozens of times at this point. No, that's one of the best. Um, so that was 2010. 2011, what I had written down was you have the immersion of John Jones and Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson makes his debut, wins the ultimate fighter. And then John Jones becomes the youngest heavyweight or the youngest champion in UFC history when he finishes Shogun. So those two, for me, were gigantic. I also think 2011, my personal favorite MMA fight of all time, Shogun Hua versus Dan Henderson. Um, that's 2011 fight. I mean, if, if you haven't seen that fight, like go find it on YouTube, find it on the internet, Fight Pass, whatever you need to do to watch that, because that is two guys going to war like at the absolute peak of their powers in my opinion or close to it for Shogun and just it's it's back and forth both guys had chances to win both guys had chances to lose it is non-stop action that to me was like almost the perfect MMA fight yeah that was that's one of those fights I mean th those fights take years off of you but that's what draws me in. I mean, I remember I watched that fight live and that was an unbelievable fight. Dan Henderson at the time was one of my favorite fighters. He's just so fucking tough. I remember I just rewatched it probably a month ago and there's a point in the fight where he gets rocked and he's wobbling back towards the cage and then he just plants on his right foot and throws that overhand right and hit Shogun is fucking crazy. I, I love I love that fight. So that yeah, I had I had a note of that too. I, I put that down as one of the best fights of the uh, decade for sure. Um, 2012, we had one of my favorite knockouts of all time. Edson Barbosa hits that crazy spinning wheel kick against um, was it Terry Adam? Yeah, that that was unbelievable um if you haven't seen that knockout got to go back and watch that and then i also had down that khabib makes his ufc debut that year is that the one where he it's it's either his debut or his second fight where he has like 20 plus takedowns in a single fight yeah
Yeah, I think the thing that we tend to forget with Ronda because of how she exited the sport is just how dominant she was for that, like, you know, two to three year stretch, like cover Sports Illustrated, all over ESPN, you know, biggest female sports star in the world, not just in MMA, complete pioneer for the sport and like really just changed the perception of female fighting in a way that I don't think happens if not for the dominance of Ronda Rousey. I mean, that that was that era was the closest thing to Mike Tyson that we've ever seen. I think it was how long is this lady going to be able to last with Ronda? We know she's going out. She's getting submitted in the first round by armbar. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I, Rhonda was a gigantic star. Her, when I wa- watch her walk out still, when she comes out in the black hood to Joan Jett, bad reputation. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That gives me I, the chills. Every I time I watch right that. now, just thinking about some of those walkouts. Oh like, my God. Look. And she comes running down the thing with bad reputation. That, that, that was greatness. So yeah, I, I think that was very pivotal moment. Um, that was 2013. We had the, immersion of Amanda Nunes makes her UFC debut. That would go on to be gigantic. You've seen that Amanda has gone on to really establish her, herself as the greatest female fighter of all time in my eyes. So I, I think that was gigantic. Um, Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. I went back and watched that fight. That was a big moment. Huge moment. Um, I remember I watched that live. Um, there are a lot of people I was watching with who were convinced that absolutely no one could beat Anderson Silva. Um, and I mean, Chris Weidman, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think lost a little bit because of how Weidman uh, has performed lately. But I mean, for years after that was, you know, basically unanimously considered the best middleweight in the world and um, kind of amazing how, a wrestler from Long Island took out what was at the time considered the best mixed martial artist of all time. Yeah. And I think that will go down as one of the, one of the most shocking highlights of all time. I, I, I remember when I watched that for the first time, I mean, Anderson was just at the peak of his powers. He was the, some of those crazy fights he had with, um, Forrest Griffin, some other guys were, well, who's the, what's the fight where he's leaning against the cage waving the guy in and just fucks him up so bad. But he was just untouchable at that time. And um, Chris Weidman really put a halt to that. And that, that to me, was a really important time. Um, Ray Longo, <laughs> I went back and watched the highlight, and you can hear Ray Longo in the background going, punch a hole in his fucking chest. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> Ray Longo's the I best. Would, I would subscribe to UFC Fight Pass for the rest of my life if I could get a Matt Sarah Ray Longo reality show. That would be epic. Um, 2013, we also had John Jones and Alexander Gustafson go to war in one of, I think, one of the best title fights of all time. Um, yeah, that, that was... When I go back and watch that fight, that's one of my favorite fights to watch. Those guys are just so closely matched. And I always thought that Gus would be the guy that could take down John. But you just see how good John is. And that that was a camp where I think he, you know, barely trained for that fight. Um, but he's just special. I mean, he's he's one of the best, probably the best champion we'll ever see. But when he hit that spinning elbow and just changed that entire fight. I think it was in the fourth round. That was incredible. And 
that that for me will be one of my top five fights of all time forever. Yeah, I you know I, I think anyone who who likes MMA loves that fight. I, I think the thing that clouds it a bit for me is I think we saw the best version of Gustafson fight a John that was at like seventy five eighty percent, and I think that's basically the only reason it was very competitive. Um, well, and you see what you know, happened I, in the rematch. I mean, John right, goes like, in there and. It, Make short work just, of him. For me, it's like hard knowing what was going on with John heading into that fight. It's hard for me to turn around and get excited about that in retrospect, to be honest, because I, just, I don't think it was the peak of his powers. No, definitely not. It was John Jones going through the motions, but it just shows you how great John Jones is. I mean, sure. to go into a gigantic fight with a guy that's very, very similar, you know, in skills to you and just go through adversity and then pull through. I mean, that was a big, big moment for John Jones. Um, 2014, Connor fights in Dublin. I, I thought that was that's one of my favorite cards to go back and watch start to finish. That whole night is maybe the best MMA crowd we've ever seen. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's Connor. I mean, at the height of just being the champion for the Irish people, that is unbelievable. But there's like, I think there's seven or eight Irish fighters on that card who all get wins too. It's like one after another. It's like Patty Houlihan and like um, Ashling Daly and um, who else, like Neil Series on that card, I think. Like, there's just like, it wasn't just Connor. Like Connor was the apex, but that whole card was all these Irish fighters winning. You know, Dublin had never gotten a UFC event. The Irish fans are like, that was their coming out party. It was just wild. Yeah. No, that that's if you haven't seen that card start to finish, that's worth sitting down and spending an evening just watching that card start to finish. That was incredible. Um 2015, Connor shocks the world with that. 13-second knockout of featherweight goat at the time, Jose Aldo. Um, that was a big, big moment, I think. That'll go down for me as one of the best knockouts of all time. I just I remember watching that live, and I was at a bar, and I mean, when that happened, the fucking place erupted. And it was yeah, it was crazy. It was just pandemonium. It was era-defining. Yeah. Connor's mystique was not built on that night, but taken to a level we had not seen in MMA before after that night. Yeah, I mean, if he goes to a decision with Jose Aldo, he's not getting those gigantic fights. His his whole thing, I mean, changes. That that put him, that just skyrocketed him to the top. That was unbelievable. And for me, we'll we'll talk about knockouts of the decade. That that's got to be in the top three. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah, that was fucking unbelievable. A um, couple other things. Uh, Joanna becomes strawweight champion. She was one of my favorite fighters when I really got into MMA. She was, you know, kind of the queen at the time. Um, I thought that was big, and that really, you know, gave rise to Doug Rose, who's an awesome fighter in the women's women's weight class. You see the Wailing Zhang coming. I no, I think so. I I think so. I. I kind of get the same feeling um, as I do for McGregor's comeback as I do for Joanna. I think she was not 100% all in the last couple of years, and I think she's back. And I, I feel the same about Connor. I watched that interview the other day with Connor, 
And I just feel like that confidence is back. That killer instinct is back. He doesn't, you know, he's not focused on his whiskey. Number one, he's focused on fighting and getting his legacy back on track. And that's kind of how I feel about Joanna. I read actually something where she was having, she came out and said she was having a lot of personal issues and her head wasn't in it, but now she's back. And I, I think that's great for the sport to have those two back. And that that's a gigantic fight. That that's gonna, I think, get a lot of things moving. Um, I think if Joanna wins, that forces Rose to come back. I think that's a giant trilogy fight. Um, and then if Wei Ling Zong continues to win, I mean, that's just gonna continue to build MMA in China, which I think is gigantic too. Yep, I think it's a win-win for the UFC. To be honest, awesome. Um, so real quick, DC versus. John Jones went down in 2015, the first fight, um, where I think John took DC down like two or three times. That, that to me, um, will go down as probably one of the best rivalries in MMA ever. So I, I thought that was an important event. And then um, one that really, really will always stick with me was Holly Holm knocking out Ronda Rousey in front of 55,000 people. That was unbelievable. I'll never forget watching that live. That was one of those that's up there with the Connor knockout or the Ben Askren getting knocked out by George Masvidal. That one to me just shocked the world. There's some iconic pictures of, of Ronda's face, you know, catching that head kick and then getting finished. That that was a big moment. And that was kind of the end, you know, of the Ronda Rousey, Ronda Rousey era. She'd go on to get knocked out by Amanda Nunes and then she was done after that. So that was hugely pivotal for me. Yeah, I think actually for me personally, I, I kind of think the home knockout of Ronda Rousey was a, a bigger deal because I think at the time, um, Ronda was actually a much bigger star than Connor was and certainly a bigger star than Jose Aldo was, even though she didn't have Jose Aldo's resume. And so, I mean, you still talk to people who don't know anything about MMA. You ask them to name what MMA fighters do they know. It's usually Ronda, Connor, John Jones, and usually the fourth one is Holly Holm. And that's because of that knockout and how big that was. Um, the thing about Jones DC that's interesting to me is, number one, when you go back and watch that fight, it really wasn't very competitive. Um, John, John beat him pretty badly. But what's, what's so fascinating to me about that rivalry is certainly in the 205 division, it's amazing to me how far above the rest of the competition John and DC seem to be. Because DC beat Gustafson pretty bad, too. 
Yeah. No, I mean, those guys are 1A, 1B, greatest line heavyweights of all time. I think DC will go down to be, you know, maybe the second or third best heavyweight of all time, uh, depending if John moves up there. But I, I think it's kind of the same thing. I mean, DC is literally better than everyone except John Jones. Yep. Period. He's John Jones is his kryptonite. He's never going to beat John Jones ever. I don't, I don't care what weight class. I mean, John Jones will never lose to DC. That's why I'm not. I know it would be a gigantic fight, but I just don't see DC John Jones ever happening at heavyweight. I'm not interested. Yeah, I'm really. I, I would rather watch Stipe versus John Jones. Yep. Yeah. Completely agree. So um, that was 2014, 2016. Um, Nate Diaz, the call out to Nate Diaz, uh, calling out Conor McGregor. That was a giant moment to me. He gets on there and says Connor's stealing everything he's ever worked for, and then that was really the beginning of Nate Diaz becoming a gigantic star. You know, I think the the Diaz brothers have always been kind of stars to the hardcores, and they have like a kind of a cult following. But um, that, and then the, t- the two fights to follow with Connor made him a gigantic st- star, and I really think kind of changed the sport. Yeah, the underrated part about the call out for me is I think that was like the first or second show they had on Fox and you could just see Joe Rogan panicking as Nate Diaz is just dropping like F-bomb after F-bomb on network TV. Oh my God. He even says to him like, unfortunately we can't talk like that on Fox. And like Nate just doesn't care at all. It's so so great. It's so Diaz brother though. I mean, it's just, that's what the Diaz brothers are. They don't give a fuck about establishment or, you know, answering to anyone. They're just raw and speak what they're saying. And I think that's why both of those guys are stars. You know, Nate took a three year hiatus. Nick's been out for five, six years. And they're still, if you look at the numbers on YouTube, any video with Nate or Nick Diaz is going to, I mean, be leaps and bounds over 95% of the UFC roster right now just because of that name. So, um, I thought that was a big event. Okay. So that was 2016. Um, yeah. So Nate becomes a big star after that. Um, Nate, that same year, I think he wins. Does he win the Connor fight? He wins the first one. And then he, um, he wins the first one in 17, I think. Right. Um, I think it was 16 and then 17. So regardless, whatever, but, um, yeah, I mean, Nate becomes a giant star. Um, his, his fights with Connor, I think they're, you know, in the top three best pay-per-views of all time. Yeah. So it's UFC 196 is the first one. Right. And then was it 205 was the second one? No, or is that uh, it would be 202 is the second one. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was a huge moment for the sport. Um, also in 2016, you had... Michael Bisping knocking out Luke Rockhold. That was a big one for me. Yeah, and you also have what I thought, what, what I had down as my best like event or f- like full card of the decade was UFC 205, the first ever card in Madison Square Garden. Um, I was live at that one. That was a fantastic card. You know, Connor knocks out Eddie. You have the Woodley Wonder Boy uh, draw. That was a really great fight. Joanna won, uh, defended her belt. Yoel knocked out Weidman. Uh, Raquel Pennington retired Misha Tate. 
Um, you had Khabib on that card uh, beating Michael Johnson, Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens. Jesus, uh, that is a great card, huh? Vincente Luque against Bilal Muhammad was the curtain jerker for that card. That's crazy, huh? I mean, just I think that was the best MMA card of the decade, UFC 205. Yeah, and that that for me, that's one of the best performances ever. Just by Connor, that performance he put on against Eddie Alvarez was just unbelievable. It's one of the cleanest, just best. I mean, turnkey performance I'd ever seen in MMA. He was Hands on another level back, that night. Slapping this dude. He was just on another level that night. That I went back. I actually watched that fight uh, last week. But his that left hand is just it's so fast it's just like a fucking piston eddie alvarez misses by an inch and he just gets hammered and then that that finishing combo where he hits him like a four-piece combo to finish the fight that was one of the best combos i've ever seen in mma and then he comes out and says i'd like to apologize pauses and then says to absolutely nobody yeah it's great i remember like bursting out laughing greatness pretty laughing at how good that was it was unbelievable the whole thing was unbelievable well and then that kicked off kind of the double champ thing where that was a new craze everyone wanted to be the double champ so that's another lasting mark that connor will leave behind is you know he he really changed the game with that um 2017 this is the one that i was live at um this was the other Madison Square Garden card. So you had Thug Rose becomes champ, strawweight champ. That was um, that was another one that it was just like the building erupted. I don't think anyone saw that happening. And she gets on the mic afterward and just makes this like super hippie, like everyone needs to love everyone speech. Yep. That was super memorable to me. Um, you had Cody versus... TJ, that's that was a great rivalry, um, and there was a lot of tension on that fight. And then also you had the return of GSP, where he finished Michael Bisming to become the uh, middleweight champion again. That was a great card. Um, I think that card you also had George Masvidal fighting Wonder Boy to a decision. Yep. Um, so you start to finish. That was a great card. Um, so that was two. They had uh, the. I think it was. The coming out party for Paulo Costa when he knocked out Johnny Hendricks. Yeah, big rig. Yeah, I I remember that. I he he came in. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? I have a picture that I took of him, and he's just looking just shredded. I was like, this guy is going to be a gigantic problem. So yeah, that was a big coming out party for him. Um, so that was 2017. Um, I also had a note here. You had the Francis Ngannou knockout over Overeem. That will go down as one of the best knockouts of all time. That was so frightening to watch that live in that replay with Overeem's neck just snapping back. I mean, that that's vicious. That's going to go down in history as one of the most devastating knockouts of all time. Yeah. Oh my god. Like that's that's what put that's what made Francis Ngannou a real star. Like at least in the MMA bubble. Right. Um, Justin Gaethje, Sean O'Malley make their debut. I think both of those guys are going to have gigantic years. So Sean O'Malley made his debut on the contender series. And then Justin Gaethje had that war with Michael Johnson. Um, That was a fight I'll never forget. Justin Gaethje wasn't really a guy that was on my radar. And I watched that fight live. And that guy, he's, 
he's became one of my favorite fighters. Every fight he goes into is just must watch TV. Um, he battled through that fight, getting hurt very, very early, and then just came back and broke Michael Johnson and then tries to celebrate with the backflip off the cage. It takes like three attempts to finally get it. That was awesome. Yeah, I so I became a Justin Gaethje fan after the Nick Newell fight in World Series of Fighting. Um, just being from Connecticut, I was a big, still am a big Nick Newell fan. And so I kind of watched his fights and I was like, this guy is electric. I mean, he is just, there is no more exciting fighter in the UFC, in my opinion. So I was hyped for that Michael Johnson fight. It was like a tough finale or something. So like the card itself was like, yeah, it was really like a Friday boring. night. I remember, I think it was a Friday night and then there was a UFC on, on Saturday night. And I had heard a lot of hype about him, but I hadn't really, you know, watched any of his fights or anything. And man, that, that was unbelievable. <laughs> the way he, I just remember telling everyone at the gym, like, watch the main event tonight. Like, you don't need to watch the other fights. Watch this guy, Justin Gaethje, fight. You've never heard of him, but you're going to know his name after tonight. When I show people that aren't super into MMA, you know, kind of casual fans, like, they ask, what fight should I watch? I always show them Justin Gaethje, Michael Johnson. is one of my top two or three that I show them. I mean, that's just, like, even my dad. My dad, you know, he's as casual as they come. Justin Gaethje is his favorite fighter. He always asked me, when's that crazy guy fighting again? When's that crazy guy fighting again? <laughs> so I'm as hardcore as they come. And and Justin Gaethje's my favorite fighter, too. So <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was huge. Also, 2017, we had the money fight, uh, Connor versus Mayweather. That's just I think that'll go down in you know 50 years from now when we look at that. That's going to be something that's very rare, was never done before. Um, both of those guys made a shitload of money. Everyone made a lot of money. And it was just interesting to make that an option, you know, and now you see there's this interest, you know, with the crossover fights that I think will kind of live on because of that fight. Yeah, for me, uh, the the only two times I can really remember, you know, your average person being really interested in fights over over my lifetime, at least, is Mayweather Pacquiao was the first time and and Mayweather McGregor. And those are really the only two times where it was like, you know, I remember packing like 40 people into my apartment to watch that pay-per-view because um, people were so into it. I think competitively, when we look back on it, it's like it wasn't that competitive. Um, Floyd was kind of playing with them, but um, I think, you know, just as a as a moment, as an event, as, like the buildup was crazy, the press tours, all this like, I mean, these guys basically did like full stand up routines for that fight, like four days straight. It was unbelievable. Um, I, I tuned into every single one of them. It was just it was like must watch TV. And you're right. I mean, the buzz around that fight was bigger than anything I've ever witnessed or been around. It's just Everyone was talking about that fight. Everyone. So, um, yeah, that that was gigantic for me. That was um, 2017. Moving on to 18, you had um, Khabib versus McGregor. And yep. Khabib becomes the light heavyweight champ, obviously, with the win over Raging Al. And then he has that gigantic fight with McGregor. Um, it's really just solidified Khabib as a, a superstar and B just dominant champion 
Yeah, I think uh, I completely agree. I think uh, there were still at the time a lot of questions about Khabib. He had really fought like I think Edson Barbosa and Ally Quinta were really the only top 15 lightweights he had really fought. And um, there was a question if he could if he could compete with the elite of that division. And, you know, he he really beat up Connor um, over the course of, uh, you know, three and, and some change rounds. So. Um, you know, excited to get that, that Ferguson fight over with, hopefully knock on wood, um, that that goes through, but I completely agree with you. That was really the, the coming out party for Khabib, uh, as like a really mainstream star in the UFC. Yeah. I also had, um, Israel Adesanya made his debut. I think we're going to look back at that and that's the start of a huge run for what I think is going to go on to be one of the most dominant champions. Um, I think he's just on another planet right now. He's, he's like you say, he's like Anderson Silva circa, you know, 2007, 2008. I think he's about to just go on a freaking terror at middleweight. Um, and the run that he put together to, to eventually lead up to that fight with Robert Whitaker and become the undisputed champion, I, I think is one of the best runs that we've ever seen. So I, I think that was, that was a pivotal moment, and that was 2018 where he started that. Um, was it also 2018 where Jones finally came back? Was that 2018 or 2017? I think that was... Who What's did he... Jones DC too? No, because 2018 was when um, DC knocked out Stipe. So I think it was 2017 they had their second fight. Yep, you're right. So that, I had that one down too. That was a big moment. Um that that will I think will go down to be one of the best trilogy fights in MMA is DC versus Stipe at heavyweight, um, yeah. and that that was I mean I remember sitting around watching that that was shocking, <laughs> DC, shocking yeah DC and the whole yeah. Brock Lesnar call out at the end now seems super bizarre. No, it does, um, but that that was big time. And then the other one I had down was um, Amanda knocking out Cyborg. Cyborg. I, I think that that really solidified Amanda as just. I mean, she's the one right now. She's, I, I just don't, we've talked about this before, but I don't see anyone competing with or beating Amanda Nunes right now. I think she's going to go on a run for the next three or four years and just be untouchable. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the podcast, but she almost reminds me of like, you talk about the Fedor mystique. Um, she's kind of the first woman who I think has that Fedor mystique where it's like, you're you're just not going to beat Amanda. It, it's kind of up to her how and when she wants to beat you. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the UFC, hopefully this year, will start putting a lot of marketing behind her. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. She's the first lesbian champion, the most dominant. She's like a Mike Tyson-esque. She's just this wrecking ball, and she's... I don't know. I, I hope they really get behind her, and I think she could be gigantic You know, for the next at least three or four or five years. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was for me, that was a big deal. When she knocked out cyborg, I was like, Holy shit. Like this lady's here. She's legit. And she's here to stay. And, and the other thing is like, it, it's a time where there's not a lot of Brazilian champions 
right? Well, I think Brazil's kind of in a decline, right? I mean, you've got she's much, the only one, I think. Yeah, you've and, got Amanda, and you've got Paulo Costa, who's you know making a run at the title. But those are really your two Brazilian stars right now. So I I think that's huge for Brazilian MMA because. I mean, traditionally they they produce shitloads of stars, and they're kind of at a low point right now in regards to their stars. So I, I think that'll be giant for them, and she can host some mega cards over in Brazil. I agree. Um, all right, let's run through. So that was 2010 through 2018. Um, what were your big events of 2019? Uh, events. So I. Or just things that happened in general. I, I made a list of probably six or seven that I thought were gigantic. Sure. So, uh, fight of the year for me. I think that's an easy place to start, and I think we're going to agree on this one. But is Izzy versus Kelvin Gastelum? Yeah, I, I went back and watched that uh, two nights ago, and that was unbelievable. I mean, that that for me is going to be that'll go down as probably top five right now, best fights of all time. That was just. The will of Israel Adesanya to not break. I mean, he overcame a lot of adversity and just found a way to, you know, eventually figure out Kelvin Gastelum and put him away. And Kelvin Gastelum, in my mind, is a top, you know, one or two middleweights. He's just super, super talented, still a young guy with a lot of potential. But that was impressive. That was, that was a statement like, you know, Israel's here. He's here to stay. He's here to dominate, and he's going to be the guy for years to come. Yeah, the other the other two that I had down um, as kind of like honorable mentions were um, actually right off that same card. But Holloway against Poirier was incredible, um, unbelievable fight. And then the other one, which I, I actually think has kind of fallen off a little bit, and people forget how good the fight actually was, but. Marais against Cejudo was really an amazing fight, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that was a good one, too. And, I mean, that was a fight where Marais basically came out and dominated Henry in the first round. And then Henry found a way and came back. And I think he was doing that on a broken, a really injured ankle as well, which was pretty impressive. Um, A couple other things I had. I had Henry becomes two-weight champion. I, I thought that was... That was a big deal. Um, you had the rise of the women champion. You have Amanda just dominating everyone. Valentina and then Weiling Zhang emerges. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there was a lot of movement there. Um, I had the rise of Israel Adesanya, Volkanovski, and City Kickboxing. I think that's yeah. a big deal. Um, you mean that little bitty gym they've got over there has now got two champions, possibly a third on the rise with Dan Hooker. So I thought that was really important. And what they're doing right now, striking-wise, is just on another level. And I think it's just kind of these evolutions that MMA goes through. And I think they're setting the bar super high in the striking department right now. Yeah. The other things I had written down, um, the Nigerian champion. So uh, Usman um, and uh, Izzy, obviously. Um, You know, first African born uh ufc champions i think you have francis Ngannou, who's like right on the doorstep of that heavyweight belt as well so i i think not just in australia but also um african-born champions really making their mark in the ufc um and i uh, and obviously rosenstreich too if he could get through Ngannou. well then you've um, got yusuf who's fighting on the mcgregor card i think that's another guy that's got a lot of potential 
Yeah. So um, I think that's kind of an interesting trend um, that we see uh, going on. I think the uh, ESPN Plus deal completely changed the way that we consume MMA and um, kind of changed the way that we think about who's a star and who isn't and, and kind of opens things up for the UFC to kind of do some unconventional time slots, I would say, which well, uh, I think is, that is also made or that led to the rise of Israel Adesanya becoming a giant star and also George Masvidal. I'd say in this new ESPN era, no one has done better to market themselves than George Masvidal. I'd agree with that. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I had is the return of Nate Diaz. I think if if at the beginning of the year you told me, hey, Nate Diaz is going to fight twice this year and headline a UFC pay-per-view, and I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> create his own but, belt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not something that I saw happening, but uh, he's back. Yeah. No, I, I, I had that down. Um, I also thought, regardless of what you think of him, the – Ben Askren coming to the UFC was huge. I agree with that. Um, you know, you, you look at some of the biggest moments of the year. I think Ben Askren was a part of a lot of them. I mean, he um, crushed it. He he crushed it. I mean, he's great on the mic. He made a huge splash. You know, he it didn't go the way he wanted it to. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the addition of Ben Askren to welterweight was gigantic this year. Um, it, it helped a lot with the emergence of you know George Masvidal with the highlight knockout, but just his getting in there, mixing it up, and kind of brought the brought the spotlight to that division. I think. Yeah, and it's a you, his brand of trash talking is unique, and it's very authentic, and he's articulate and just kind of says what's on his mind, which I think was refreshing because. A lot of people over the past couple of years have just kind of tried to copy the Connor blueprint, and a lot of people suck at it. So it was nice to see Ben just get up there, be himself, make fun of Dana, say that Dana wanted him to get his ass kicked, things like that, and then um, really, you know, make make the fights compelling um, for a guy who's kind of a new kid on the block in the UFC. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was a big deal. And then the last thing I had down was um, heavyweight boxing. I think heavyweight boxing the last two years have just been great. You've got Wilder, you've got Tyson Fury, you've got Anthony Joshua, and then you had Andy Ruiz. Um, that was the most exciting I've I've been to watch boxing is probably you know those couple fights. And then we've got a gigantic one booked for February 22nd um, with the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder rematch. Um, but I, I just think boxing, it was a great year for boxing. I, I agree. I think, um, and I actually think what was good about it is we're seeing boxing and MMA, which have always kind of been at odds with each other. Like MMA's kind of been little brother fighting for legitimacy. Boxing's kind of like the established fight sport, but also kind of an older demographic. And I think we finally saw them really. Uh, this year was kind of the first year I remember where I didn't feel like boxing and MMA were at odds. Like, you know, Canelo against Kovalev was delayed. So people go watch the BMF title fight. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that's, it's, it was kind of felt finally okay for people to be a fan of both sports. And, um, I think it's actually good for 
both MMA and boxing to kind of coexist and find, uh, find middle grounds and find crossover opportunities because I think, you know, fans of either sport could kind of um, find their way to being fans of both. No, I, I think so too. I, I, when we talk about fights I'm looking forward to in 2020, the Tyson Fury versus Wilder rematch is probably the top one or two, you know, right there with Tony and Khabib. Um, I think stylistically that fight is going to go down as, you know, like Ali Frazier or just those giant clashes of heavyweights. You've got, you know, two guys that are Fury 6'9", Wilder 6'7". Fury's a phenomenal boxer. Wilder's just got this vicious right hand. So it's just, it's it's super interesting right now. And I'm locked in. I love heavyweight boxing right now. I think stylistically that fight is almost like Ali Tyson, right? Which is is a fascinating matchup, and we're and we're getting to see it. Both guys seem to be in their primes. Both guys are undefeated. The first fight was amazing. Um, so I'm I'm right there with you. I'm super excited for that for that boxing fight. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, all right, um, real quick, I I made a list for top three knockouts, top three fights of the decade. Um, number one, my my. When I when I look forward, you know, fifteen years from now, and I look back, um, Masvidal flying knee versus Ben Askren for me is number one. I'll never forget where I was at. I was okay. in, in the lake house with about forty people in the room, and I fucking jumped up to, towards the ceiling. It was unbelievable, and the whole room was like pandemonium in shock, crazy. Um, one of the most vicious, vicious knockouts you'll ever see. So. For me, that was number one. Number two was Connor knocking out Aldo. That was gigantic. Um, like we said earlier, I mean, that just that led to the rise of Connor McGregor. That put him on top of the world, made him untouchable, made him be able to launch an Irish whiskey brand that competes with Jameson, got him the the Floyd fight that made him, you know, hundred plus million dollars. That was gigantic. Um, and the third one, we also talked about Holly Holm knocking out Ronda. That was just like a shocking, just changing up the guards right there. That was unbelievable. So those, those were my top three for the decade. So, uh, the my top three for the decade um i'm actually glad i had i had two of my three are different than yours so um my number one i think it's honestly the most iconic mma knockout of all time from like a visual perspective anderson silva knocking out vitor belfort uh front kick to the face um really just it's it's an unbelievable knockout if you've never seen it um I think it was 2011, so some newer MMA fans may not know about it, but it was a great one. Um, my number two was uh, Home over Rousey. Um, we talked about it, you know, just it's such a massive moment. Um, and my third one is kind of, might be a little hipstery, but I just think like the difficulty of it and the the way that it occurred, Yair Rodriguez knocking out Korean Zombie. I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again, where back elbow, you know, one second left in a five round fight that he was losing. Zombies winning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Yair just throws this like spinning back elbow upwards that knocks out Korean zombie. I, I just, I, to me, like I, you'll never see anything like that again in MMA. Yeah. Now that, well, that's six pretty fucking good ones. Um, 
fights of the decade. Number one for me was Robbie versus Rory. Two. That's yeah. That'll go down as one of the most unbelievable fights. I remember watching that live. I was on the edge of my seat. That stare down that they have in the center of the octagon uh, with Big John standing in between them. I'll never forget that. Um, that is an iconic moment right there. I've got my little Rory bobblehead right here that commemorates yep. that fight. Um, that was on my list as well. I think the uh, the moment where uh, Robbie spits blood at Rory like his in lips split rounds. open. God is just like the MMA hardcores are salivating at that moment where you just have two guys who are at their most savage, um, just literally leaving absolutely everything in that cage. I don't think either man was the same after that. No, no, I I think Rory is still a, you know, world-class fighter. Obviously Robbie's getting older, but you're never the same after a war like that. I mean, you take years off your life, I mean that that's a uh, those guys left parts of themselves in that octagon that night. I'll never forget that fight. That was unbelievable. Um, my second one. This is going to be kind of a hipster pick as well. Um, Paul Paul Daly versus Diaz and Strikeforce. Well, maybe the best first round in the history of MMA. Great pick. Love unbelievable. That. Just they go to war. Nick Diaz gets clipped. Um, hurt really bad, is able to survive, and he comes back and he I believe he puts Paul Daly away in the second round, like early into the second round. Um yep. for me, that that's one of my favorite fights. I could watch that once a week for the rest of my life. I love that fight. Um, and that's just that's what makes Nick and Nate Diaz giant fans. That those kind of fights and just action packed, the shit talking. Everything. I mean, that that fight had everything. Um, So that was my number two. And then my number three was kind of it was kind of a toss up. I had McGregor two, McGregor versus Diaz two. And then I went back and watched Izzy versus Gastelum. I, I still think Izzy versus Gastelum will go down as one of the best fights of the decade. I know it was late. Um, but when we see what Israel Adesanya does over the next four or five years, I think that's going to be that's going to be one of those fights. Yeah. So again, we had a, we had a lot in common. My number one, we we've already discussed, but Shogun Hua against Dan Henderson was my fight of the decade. I think it's, it's kind of, I'm afraid it's going to get lost to history a little bit because it's uh, not usually something that's talked about, but I just think that's to me, that's my favorite MMA fight. There's just so much that's happened, but that for anyone I mean, if you like combat sports, go back and watch that fight. That is a fucking incredible fight. Incredible fight. Um, Lawler versus McDonald, too, was my second. I think that's largely considered the best MMA fight of all time by a lot of people um, for obvious reasons. And then third, McGregor versus Diaz, too. Um, The tension throughout that fight, the comeback by Nate, um, Connor kind of dominating the early rounds but and knocking Nate down, but then Nate coming on in the later rounds. I mean, you know, I watched that in like a packed bar. Um, there was like no empty seats and just the, the tension in the room when they're reading the scorecards was I've never seen anything uh, that compares to it before or since. Yeah, to me, so. that's that's one of the closest fights that I've ever seen. I thought 
it was dominant. You know, Connor dominated early, dropped him a couple times, and then Nate in the middle round just comes on super, super strong, and it looked like Connor was gassing. And then Connor rallies in the late rounds and makes it very competitive. So that that to me, um, I mean, that was just edge of your seat TV the whole the and, whole and way that through. combined with kind of the magnitude of that card, right? The how many pay per view buys that did. It was all over every sports. Um, you know, television station, it was, it was like so massive and then it delivered. And I think a lot of times these like very uh, hotly hyped fights don't always deliver, but that one did. And so that's why it made the list for me, but certainly uh, every fight you listed, um, you know, is, is definitely in my top 10 and uh, love, love all these, all five fights that we talked about. Yeah. These were all awesome. Um, I think, are we all on agreement? knockout of the year goes to George Masvidal? So I thought you were going to say this, and I don't disagree with it. I think it's, you know, it's kind of the obvious pick. But one that I don't want people to forget that's like big time, deep in the MMA bubble, Raymond Daniels at Bellator Birmingham hits a the tornado kick fake kick to a right hand and knocks this dude unconscious <laughs> there's a youtube video of it that's like 13 seconds long that i would recommend every single person who likes mma watch because it is so impressive to see didn't he have a 720 head kick knockout too or is that the same Something fight like that it's the same it was the 720 head kick wasn't a knockout i don't think okay but yeah he does some crazy shit him versus mvp would be awesome I would watch that oh, um, for sure. But I, I just, I think like the, the master all fight went so viral that it was, it's kind of like the no brainer pick um, for KO of the year. But like watch the Raymond Daniels knockout too, because it, it, it's, it's one of those things that you almost don't believe anyone would use that as a legitimate fighting strategy. No, I mean, there, there was a lot this year was crazy. I mean, I would even, Kevin Lee's knockout over Gregor Gillespie. How vicious was that? Valentina over Jessica I. Yeah, that those head kicks. Oh my god. Eileen Zhang over uh Jessica Andraj too, the knees. Unbelievable. Yeah. No, there was a lot, a lot of good stuff. Um, you got like ten more minutes? I got it. All right. Um, I want to ask you to give me two or three, or as many as you want. What fights are you looking forward to most, either booked or hypothetical fights in 2020? Um, I mean, number one, I think is obvious. Uh, you know, Tony versus Khabib. It's been that's been a fight that's big time on my radar since probably 2016 that I've wanted to see. Um, so I'm I'm really I'm really really excited about that fight. Um. I think the wow, there's so much I want to see. Um, I I really want to see George Masvidal against Kamaru Usman, um, and I know it's not booked, but I, I I really think that's the fight to make, and and I want to see that. Um, and then probably the third one I'm I'm most interested in is, and I don't really care who it's against whether it's Stipe or Francis or Rosenstreich or Overeem, even I'm interested in, but I just want to see John Jones at heavyweight. Um, so like, those are, those are my three things I'm really looking forward to, to be honest. Yeah. I had, um, I put five down. Um, I put Tony, Tony versus Khabib's my number one. 
I mean, hands down, that's got to happen. That's a fight we've all been waiting for forever. And it's finally, finally happened. Knock on wood, nothing fucked up happens. But that's that's my number one fight of the year. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, my second one, I wrote Connor versus everyone. I think if Connor comes back and has three fights this year, I mean, every one of them is gigantic. Gigantic, especially if he goes in there and gets a first round knockout against Cowboy. Um, the Connor train, Connor Express is back. And I, you know, I would watch him fight Nate Diaz again. I'd watch him fight George Mazvadov. I'd watch him fight Justin Gaethje. I'd watch him fight Tony or the winner of Tony and Khabib. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a huge storyline in 2020 is just Connor's back. I agree. And I think he's, he's actually at his best as a fighter when he's staying busy. Um, he's a guy who I think the more time you give him to prepare, he actually gets worse and gets sidetracked. So, um, I would love, I think if we can get three fights out of Connor this year, I I think, um, I agree with you. He's, he's back. Um, kind of one that not a lot of people are talking about. And to me, it's a no brainer is Darren Till versus Israel Adesanya for the middleweight title. Huh? That's interesting. I'm, uh, I'm much more interested in, in uh, Izzy versus Yoel than I am any other 185 contender. But, you know, I'll watch Israel Adesanya fight, you know, three bums in a parking lot. I think yeah, that guy is I, I just think stylistically, exciting. in both of these guys, they, they've got it all. I mean, Darren Till, I think, took a hit to his confidence with those two losses. But he seems to be coming back. And I still think he's got the potential to be a gigantic star over in, you know, England, Ireland. And then, you know, he'll he'll transition to the whole world. But um, I think that's probably one or two fights away you know, I, I think he's going to fight. I really wanted to see Darren Till fight Rob Whitaker, but I don't think we're getting that. I think we're going to get Darren Till versus uh, Jack Hermanson. And then I think Robert Whitaker is going to fight Cannoneer. Um, Isn't that booked? I think that's Yeah, booked. Rob Whitaker versus Cannoneer is booked. I don't think Darren Till is booked uh, against Jack Hermanson yet. But I think the idea is to have that on the London card. And yep. then I don't know what they're going to do. Like who who would get preference first? Like I I don't know that, but um, so yeah that that was my third fight, my fourth fight. Um, I I agree with you, John Jones to heavyweight. I think it's got to happen. I think now is the time. I think if he can get past Dominic Reyes, there's no better time for him to go to heavyweight. You still have you know DC hanging around. You've got DC versus Stipe is gonna happen sometime in the spring. So for to me, I think it makes sense for. Did Francis versus Rosenstruck get booked? Yeah, March 28th. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, I think John takes on the winner from that fight. And then after that, if he gets past those guys, he fights for the heavyweight title. I think that's gigantic. You let light heavyweight play out for you know six to eight months. And then he can come back and defend his crown. Um, but that was number four. Number five, this is... These two were kind of a stretch. I had um, Tyson Fury crossing over to MMA. <laughs> I know that's just like a pipe dream of mine. Um, I love Tyson Fury, and he's he's talked about it a lot. And a fight, you know, one of those crossover fights you could sell is the most realistic one is Tyson Fury. I think because he's just a fighter's fighter. There's not a lot of wrestling at heavyweight, um, and I think a lot of those guys would oblige him to a striking match. I, I don't know what that would look like. But for me, Tyson Fury is one of the best punchers just 
pure out fighters, boxers, whatever on the planet at heavyweight. And I think it's realistic that he could make a transition. And I think the buildup would be gigantic, especially if he teamed up with like, you know, Conor McGregor, John Kavanaugh and had an actual training camp with those guys. I think that's a sellable fight at heavyweight. I think that's a gigantic fight at heavyweight. So that's a pipe dream. And then the return of Nick Diaz for me, um, just being a just ride or die Diaz brother fan. Um, I think the UFC has got one or two more years to make it right with the Diaz brothers. And I think if they could, that's going to be big business for the next couple of years. So th- those were kind of my pipe dream fights. Yeah. I'm not that interested in the, uh, I'm not that interested in, in the Diaz brother fight. I think, uh, the Tyson Fury thing, I think, is more likely to happen in like a Bellator where they could feed him someone who's not very good. Um, and and they're making a big push in the UK market. I guess for me, like the the pipe and on the pipe dream front, I want to see uh, the major organizations probably outside of the UFC, which would never do it, um, participate in Ryzen um, at the new year's eve card in 2020 like i would love to see some crossover fights with bader and uh jerry prohaska how about justin gaethje like, taking on your guy timothy masa whatever his last name is that's a fight Musayev. Uh, um you know i would love to see like phil defries and roberto soldich from ksw fighting some of the uh fighting some of the talent from bellator some of the talent from ryzen so that would be my pipe dream is like we get a true kind of cross promotional grand prix type event where it's all these different champions from all around the world fighting with each other. And, and we get to see it in, in Tokyo, Japan and on New Year's Eve. And for those other, you know, those other promotions, I, I don't see any any downside to doing that. I mean, it's it's good for all of them to try to right. keep up with the UFC. I mean, it makes things interesting. It exposes these, you know, lesser known fighters to the world. And then I don't know. I think it's just good business to me. I I don't see why they wouldn't keep doing that. So that's what I want to see in in 2020. Okay. I had, um, I wanted to ask you, who do you think the breakout one or two biggest breakout star in 2020 is going to be? Oof. Um, breakout star. I mean, the guy I think is like poised to make a run at the title, which I guess would, would be as close to stardom as you could get is Jeff Neal. I think Jeff Neal is, he's ready for a a legitimate top 10 guy. I think he's two or three fights away from, from a title shot. Um, so I, I would pick him as, as someone who I think could be a, a real star in, in 2020 or a real guy who we said kind of broke out. Um, and then uh, I think uh, probably this guy, Cyril Gane, the, the French heavyweight prospect. Um, he looks like who, a freak. He looks like a freak and, and can, you know, he moves like a, a 185 pounder, a heavyweight, which we know a lot of those guys are slower. So um, those would be probably my two guys who I think are, are really posed to, to break out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Macy Barber, number one. Mm-hmm. I think she's she's still I think she's 20 years old so she's on pace she wants to be the youngest champion ever I think John Jones did it at 21 um, but I think she's realistic I think she's two fights away 
Uh, I think she fights both divisions. She fights 115 and 25, kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah, I just think uh, my thing with Barber is like, I don't see any holes in Valentina's game. So I think that's a, a brutal, brutal champion to try and get through. Yeah, yeah, I, but I like her. I think she's got it all. She's got, you know, she's kind of this new crop of star that's coming up. Um, you know, her, Israel, Adesanya, they've learned from the best to do it. They've learned from McGregor. They've learned from Chael Sonnen. They've learned from Ronda Rousey. And I think those people, they're starting to be the full package. I think she's got a chance to be a big star. Um, Sean O'Malley, I think he's... Sure. I, from the first time I saw him fight, I said, that kid's going to be a giant star. And he's had, you know, some issues with the drug testing and stuff, but I think all that's behind him. He's got a fight booked. And I think he's one or two fights away from being, you know, in the top 10, top five at Bantamweight. And he's a hugely marketable guy. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a giant star. So I, I'm, I've really got my eye on Sean O'Malley. I'd expect him to fight three or four times in 2020. So, I completely agree. Yeah. So he's a good one. And then kind of a hardcore pick I had was Edmund Shabazian. Um, okay. Undefeated middleweight. Um, I mean, he has smoked everyone that I've seen him fight. Um, I think he, he just knocked out Brad Tavares. Like, yep. Yeah. And he looked phenomenal doing it. So that's a guy I think everyone needs to keep their eye on. Um, I, I'm really looking for good things from him. He's not, you know, crazy marketable. You know, I think he, he fights out of America, but he comes from some Eastern Bloc country, I think. Um, but his skill it's levels. Ronda Rousey is his manager, too. Really? He, she, he fights in um, Edmund Tarverian's gym and has, has been training there since he was, like, very little, like eight or nine years old, and Rousey's his manager. So I think he, he's actually poised to get big fights because obviously Dana loves Ronda. Right. Yeah. And I mean, his striking's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's a guy everyone needs to look out for. Um, I had one more question for you. Who, give me these two fighters at the end of 2020, who is our lightweight champion and who's our welterweight champion? Oof. At the end of 2020, I think, I think Khabib is still lightweight champion at the end of 2020. Okay. And I think George Masvidal is welterweight champion at the end of 2020. Okay. I have, I think Justin Gaethje is going to be your champion at the end of 2020 for lightweight. I would love to see it. Would love to see it. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't know. Khabib versus Tony, I think that's going to push Khabib to the brink. I think Tony's has everything to be his kryptonite. If he can't get it done, I think Justin Gaethje's a guy. And I don't see McGregor taking a fight with Justin Gaethje. And I really don't see him taking a fight with George Masvidal. So it'll be interesting to see what Gaethje does. Does he try to take a fight in between now and then or not? Um, but for me, he's a guy that's, he's learned, you know, he's sharpened up his game plan. He doesn't, fight with that just reckless abandoned game game plan anymore he's he's tightened everything up and i think he's got everything it takes to beat khabib if tony ferguson can't get it done so um that's who i think will end in the year um as lightweight champion it'll be i think connor dictates that though because i 
I think if Connor gets a giant KO win, I mean, honestly, I think he could skip. I know it's not favorable, but I think he could skip Justin Gaethje for the next crack at the lightweight title. Um, that's who I think is going to be your lightweight champions, Justin Gaethje at the end of the year. Um, second one, I agree with you completely. I think George Mazadov should be the welterweight champion at the end of the year. I think he's just on another planet right now. He's just so vicious. He's going in there and ending people. Um, so I, I really like him to be your welterweight champion at the end of the year. I, I think he, yeah, not on paper. I don't think he beats Kamaro or Colby, but I, I think he's just got that X factor to end fights. And I think he finishes both of those guys. Um, a dark horse I will throw out to you, and I know you're not going to like it. I think GSP has a chance to be the welterweight champion at the end of the year. I mean, look, I don't think he ever fights again. I, I just don't. I, I, and like, if it happens, I, I don't see why he would fight at welterweight again. I think he, I think he ends up, you know, if he comes back, he's going to fight at lightweight and he's going to fight Khabib. I don't know. I, I just see, I don't know. I have a feeling that he, he's going to want to come back and just reclaim his throne. If he, I just don't think that Khabib fight, he can get it. I, I don't think, I don't know if he can't make the weight or Khabib's camp just didn't want it, but I think, if they were going to make that fight, they would have made it by now. I think the UFC doesn't want it because I think the UFC knows that George is just going to come back, fight Khabib, and if he wins, he gives up the belt, and like then they're you know kind of back where where they started. It doesn't really move the company forward. It's just kind of a big one-off deal, which the UFC never likes doing. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen if he comes back and beats Khabib. He's walking away, you know. And you'll never see GSP again, but I don't know. For some reason, I think um, GSP is going to insert himself back into this, and shit's going to get crazy. Yeah. So that that's my fringe welterweight content, uh, champion at the end of the year. Um, but I mean, if you have, if you can bring GSP back in 2020, you got Connor back, you got Nate back, you got Nick Diaz thinking about coming back. I mean, I don't see if 2019 was the best year in the company's history. I think 2020 is going to be even bigger. Oh, I think this this sport and and the UFC. I think with their dominance over the sport, I, I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, we're all on the same page. All right, well, we did two hours, two hours and five minutes. Man, we could talk. We can go. Any closing statements from you? You good? I'm good. I think, I think uh, everybody go back and watch the fights that we mentioned. Um, uh, if you haven't seen them, definitely worth your time. And, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, to Cowboy McGregor, uh, January 18th, kind of start off the year here. Let's jump on the week before. We'll preview it. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. All right. Appreciate you coming on. What is this, the third or fourth time? We're rocking and rolling. This is three, I think. There I think we we're go. on three. Number three. Well, we'll do a we'll do a Cowboy versus Connor preview, and we'll keep it rolling. So I appreciate everyone for tuning in, and thank you, Billy. You're the man. Catch you thank next you, time. Thank you, Parker. All right. We'll see you. Appreciate it. See you. Bye. Bye. All righty. Thank you, everyone. That was episode 18 of Parker's MMA Show. I appreciate you continuing to tune in, and I look forward to keep doing this week after week. We covered a lot. This this episode recapped the decade, um, talked about the explosive 2019. We talked about Bellator, Ryzen, um, the PFL championship. So we covered a lot this week. 
I'd really appreciate it if you guys would go down to the show notes below and give me a like, subscription, share it with your friends, and we'll keep it rolling in 2020. I appreciate it. Everyone have a great year. Get out there and get after it. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit parkerkeen.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.